You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. report on threats to industrial control systems is out, and it focuses on ransomware, coinjacking, and legacy malware. Eternal Blue remains a problem. The U.S. is preparing a formal attribution in the case of the Microsoft Exchange server campaign. An international police operation has taken down double VPN, and the authorities seem pretty pleased with their work. Joe Kerrigan examines vulnerabilities in systems from Dell. Our guest is Vikram Thacker from Symantec on multi-factor authentication evasion. And the guy who allegedly provided the Gozi banking malware with its bulletproof hosting has been collared in Bogota. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, June 30th, 2021. Trend Micro this morning released a study of ransomware's growing infestation of industrial control systems. Ryuk, Nephilim, Sodinakibi, and Lockbit variants accounted for a majority of the incidents Trend Micro investigated. The researchers wrote, quote, Ransomware in ICS could lead to loss of view and control of physical processes, since such attacks encrypt a variety of files, including image and configuration files, that are necessary for rendering the interface. This in turn leads to loss of revenue due to disrupted operations. Victims could also lose money from extortion schemes, as more ransomware operators also threatened to publicize stolen data, end quote. Their report led with ransomware, which seems right, given the current prominence that particular kind of threat has now, but they also discussed coin miners. These can have a bad effect on the operation of ICS endpoints, rendering them slow and unresponsive, particularly when those endpoints are running old operating systems or have limited CPU capacity. Both of these conditions are common enough in ICS environments. Trend Micro also discusses the effect legacy malware like Configure can continue to have on industrial control systems. A lot of that legacy malware is propagated via removable media. Industrial countries are infected in different ways and at different rates. China is the leading sufferer of legacy malware. The U.S. has to put up with the highest rates of ransomware infections, 
and India is the unfortunate leader in the tally of coinjacking victims. Trend Micro's recommendations will surprise few, but they're good advice nonetheless. Patch systems with security updates, a lot of the infestations they observed found their way in through eternal blue exploits. There are fixes for that. Implement micro-segmentation in the network or use virtual patching technologies. Restrict network shares and enforce strong username and password combinations. Use intrusion detection systems and intrusion prevention systems. Install anti-malware solutions. These are particularly useful in controlling legacy malware. Set up USB scanning kiosks and get people to use them before they plug removable media into a network. Apply the principle of least privilege. Consider regional differences in security awareness and implementation. This is especially important for multinationals. And identify and audit systems with low-risk tolerance. Also this morning, Gardacore issued an update on the Indexinus SMB worm, also known as NSA Buff Miner. The worm has been in use since 2019 and recently has been most active against targets in the healthcare, hospitality, education, and telecommunications sectors. The victims use SMB servers vulnerable to Eternal Blue, and the campaign makes massive use of Equation Group Exploit Kit that includes both the Eternal Blue exploit and the Double Pulsar backdoor. The U.S. government expects to issue a formal attribution of Microsoft Exchange server hacks in the coming weeks, Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber Ann Neuberger said yesterday, The Hill reports. Microsoft announced the discovery of that campaign back in March, and Redmond was quick to attribute the hostile activity to Hafnium, a Chinese government-run threat actor. Neither Neuberger nor other U.S. officials have tipped their hand on attribution, But if you're betting on form, there's a pretty good chance Microsoft has this one right. Straight up, it was the Chinese services. DoubleVPN, a service based in Russia that catered to cyber criminals by helping them obscure both their physical location and originating IP address, was taken down yesterday in an international law enforcement operation, Bleeping Computer Reports. As its name suggests... DoubleVPN double-encrypted, at least, data that transited its service. The takedown notice on what's left of DoubleVPN.com says, quote, On 29th of June 2021, law enforcement took down DoubleVPN. Law enforcement gained access to the servers of DoubleVPN and seized personal information, logs, and statistics kept by DoubleVPN about all of its customers. DoubleVPN's owners failed to provide the services they promised. International law enforcement continues to work collectively against facilitators of cybercrime wherever and however it is committed. The investigation regarding customer data of this network will continue. End quote. Britain's NCA, which credited the Netherlands with leading the effort, tweeted that WVPN was advertised on both Russian and English-speaking cybercrime forums as a service which provided anonymity to those seeking to carry out cyber attacks. Its cheapest virtual private network connection cost as little as £19. NCA assessed the action as extremely significant, adding that not only have we successfully affected the takedown of WVPN, but it is the first time law enforcement has been able to take direct action against a criminal enabling service of this type. Europol, in particular, isn't just tweeting, it's crowing large over the operation, 
with a hand emoji waving in triumph that, quote, the golden age of criminal VPNs is over. And in another law enforcement action, Colombian authorities have arrested the alleged distributor of the Gozi virus, the Washington Post reports. Mihai Iyonut Paunescu was taken into custody as he was passing through the airport in Bogota. He faces the prospect of extradition to New York, where U.S. authorities intend to try him for computer intrusion and bank fraud. Gozi infected computers in at least eight countries— the United States, Germany, Finland, and the United Kingdom among them, and both individuals and organizations were affected. Mr. Panescu is the third person the U.S. has pursued for their roles in Gozi. Nikita Kuzmin, a Russian national and creator of the Gozi virus, was arrested in the U.S. in November 2010. He took a guilty plea in May of 2011. Denis Kolovskis, who went by the hacker name Miami, a Latvian national who improved Gozi's code, was arrested in Latvia, and in January 2016, he was sentenced in the U.S. to the 21 months he'd served while awaiting trial. Mr. Panescu's alleged role in the criminal activity was different from those played by Mr. Kuzmin and Klovskis. They coded, he provided the bulletproof hosting service used to distribute Gozi and other malware. Mr. Panescu, who went by the hacker name Virus, was arrested in 2012 by Romanian authorities, but was able to escape extradition to the U.S. His luck ran out this week. A pro tip to those on the lam, plan your vacations with the possibility of extradition in mind. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com.
Recent high-profile incidents like SolarWinds and the Microsoft Exchange server attacks have highlighted the fact that in response to multi-factor authentication establishing itself as a basic security standard, adversaries are pivoting to methods capable of bypassing it. Vikram Thacker is technical director at Symantec, and he offers these insights. Over the past, I want to say at least 10 years, we've been seeing attackers trying to go after uh, different types of high-value accounts, different types of information that might be stored in organizations, which are of extremely high value, but they've been protected using uh, multi-factor authentication, which just means that, hey, even after you get onto the network or even after you gain uh, access to an account, you still need that little second token or you need that second password in order to gain access to the information that you need. And so what have we seen from the attackers then? How have they adjusted uh, their methods to try to get around this? So we've seen um, a variety of techniques that attackers have used in the past. And I can go back uh, 10 years. In fact, uh, in 2011, uh, in the month of March, uh, we probably saw one of the biggest uh, attacks uh, on this two-factor authentication uh, probably till date where the attacker, what they wanted to do was they wanted to gain access to some very critical uh, defense-related information uh, in the Western world, but they realized that the organizations were using a two-factor authentication mechanism, uh, which was provided by a company called RSA. So the attackers then said, well, instead of us trying to somehow circumvent the two-factor authentication why don't we go and uh, hack into RSA and try to see if we can somehow steal some secrets from there that'll help us enable getting into the defense information that they truly wanted to. Hmm. And they were successful. They hacked into RSA. It's a public uh, piece of information that you can see from 2011. They got in. They were able to steal secrets uh, related to the two-factor authentication and then make use of it in order to uh, get the data that they wanted. So that's that's been going on for at least 10 years. Mm. The latest attempts that we see is somehow the attackers are getting on to the servers that are managing two-factor authentication or they're managing a service uh, that they truly want to get access to. And that machine itself may not be guarded by two-factor authentication. So as an example, while people might have two-factor authentication enabled on their email accounts, um, the attackers found a way to not bother going after email accounts as much as they just went and hacked into the email server itself. So they get into a network and they found a vulnerability which enabled them to get onto the email server. And once on there, um, they found a way to just access any any user's mailbox without even requiring the two-factor authentication. So, so that's just an example of how these attackers are trying to go around the requirement for two-factor authentication. But it doesn't take away from the fact that two-factor authentication is extremely useful and it is efficient and it does the job because it's forcing the attackers to try really, really hard. And the attackers have realized that they cannot seem to somehow crack into that method of two-factor authentication. 
it. So it's forcing them to go around it and try to find weaknesses in the systems that might be using two-factor authentication. That's Vikram Thacker from Symantec. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. So uh, some interesting research from the folks over at Eclipsium Mm -hmm. caught my eye. Uh, They have discovered some vulnerabilities that are affecting some Dell computers. Correct. What's going on here? It's affecting 129 models of Dell computers. That's a lot of computers. It goes back very far. These are vulnerabilities in the BIOS, uh, hmm. and BIOS stands for Basic Input Output System, I believe, if my memory serves. <laughs> it's uh, been around a long time. It's been around, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's the very first thing. When you turn on, I don't even know if, actually, nowadays, you don't even see it, but when you used to turn on your computers, you'd see the BIOS come online very quickly. Right. It's essentially an embedded system in your computer that starts everything up. Yeah. Right? But it's still just software. And Dell has this product called BIOS Connect that allows a computer in BIOS to uh, to call phone home to Dell for support purposes. So, like to get firmware updates and things exactly. like that. Exactly. Or okay. if you've lost your operating system and you can't you can't get it to boot or something's missing, you can actually still get this thing to uh, connect to the Dell servers in BIOS because that's always going to be there. Okay, sounds like a a good thing in theory. Yeah, it is a good thing in theory. (laughs) It it would be a great thing in theory if it was done right. Yeah. Uh, But what's happened here is the first vulnerability that uh, they found, that Eclipsium found, is a a problem with uh, TLS certificates. Hmm. Uh, And TLS is transport layer security. It's how the internet works. Uh, But this software is written in C code, right, at a very low level. Uh, so getting that that TLS handshake correct is important, and Dell didn't do that here. In fact, this uh, this system, if you have a privileged network attacker on the network, and they can intercept like a DNS call out to the Google DNS server of 8888, 8.8.8, I'm, not, I'm getting too technical. They can <laughs> intercept, intercept the communication, yeah. right? And then impersonate Dell and hand back any readily available, uh, freely available TLS certificate and the software in the BIOS will accept that and say, okay, you're Dell. Oh. Right? So and, any certificate at all, uh, this just, software says, just about. we're good here. As long as it's not self-signed. It, it has to be from a certificate authority that's in the, in the, but those are not easy, not hard to come by. I see. You can actually get one anywhere. Yeah. 
so if you're if you're on the network, if the malicious actor is on the network, they can intercept the traffic, they can feed back the uh, uh, some bogus certificate, and the service will then the service on the computer will then trust the attacker, and then the attacker can exploit one of three buffer overflow vulnerabilities mm. that were also found in the software. Right, Bob's uh, your uncle. Right, exactly, uh, and that allows arbitrary code execution. There's even one that allows arbitrary code execution in BIOS. So huh. they could completely replace the BIOS of your machine and... Uh, Bob's really your uncle. Yeah, Bob's really your <laughs> uncle. Now you're hosed, <laughs> right? Right. I right. mean, it may be to the point where you might might have to just throw the motherboard away, mm-hmm. right? Um, wow. Hmm. It's, uh, you know, because you can never trust it again. Yeah. So where are we with this? Uh, Dell has responded? Dell has responded. Uh, Eclipsium is not releasing all the technical details until DEF CON, which is in August. Uh-huh. Um, they're going to do demos and put everything out there. Uh, Dell has already patched two of the vulnerabilities, and they say they're going to patch the other two in July. Uh, so it's uh, it's time to update your BIOS. But one of the things that Eclipsium says is uh, update your BIOS manually. <laughs> right. Right. Don't trust. Right. Don't right. trust the uh, the tool. Right. Yeah. Oh, how ironic. And, yeah, and verify the uh, <laughs> and verify the hashes that are available on the Dell site. So yeah, go out to Dell, download the patches, verify the hashes. Uh, that's a lot easier to do now on Windows machines with um, with PowerShell. You can uh, just Google how to verify hashes. You don't have to download a tool anymore like you used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can then run the uh, the BIOS update application from the operating system, and that will update the BIOS. Okay. So it's pretty easy to do. Just get it done, and get it done before August because <laughs> once this stuff is 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 disclosed to DEFCON, it's going to be out there in the wild. Right. So go check out to see if you, if you have a Dell machine. Go right. check out to see if it's vulnerable to this. And if so, uh, put your plan into action. That's right. All right. All right. Well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. that's the cyberwire for links to all of today's stories check out our daily briefing at the cyberwire.com the cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in maryland out of the startup studios of data tribe where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies our amazing cyberwire team is elliot peltzman peru prakash justin sabi tim nodar joe kerrigan carol terrio ben yellen nick Vilecki, gina johnson Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. 
visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.